Another live edition of the Breakfast Show here at the Voice of Islam. I hope everybody's doing well this morning and a belated and happy new year to all of our listeners. Um, today's program will be an interesting one, as usual. Um, we'll be talking about various topics um, and indeed speaking with experts on those topics. Um, and before we do so, we'll jump into the news, but I'll give you a quick uh, highlight as to what the topics are for today's program. So our first segment, which will start around... 7.30-ish and end around 8.15 will be about, excuse me, the NHS nurses' strikes, which I'm sure everybody um, is is aware of. And uh, the second segment will be about the New Year's resolution and how to keep them. And that will be starting around 8.15 and taking us all the way to the end of today's programme, which is 9 o'clock. But before we jump into those segments, a quick uh, look at the morning papers. Um, and the BBC reports that Pope Benedict XVI um, has sadly passed away. Tens of thousands of people are expected to pay their respects to the former Pope when his lying in state begins at the Vatican later. He died on New Year's Eve at the age of 95, almost a decade after he stood down because of ill health. Pope Francis will preside over Thursday's funeral, the first time that a Pope will be buried by his successor. The Vatican says the service will be simple, solemn and sober. Benedict XVI became Pope to resign in 600 years in 2013, citing ailing health. His body will be displayed three days in an open casket at St Peter's at Bliska, with people allowed to pay their respects until 7pm each evening. <coughs> the funeral will take place in St Peter's Square before uh, Pope Emeritus is laid to rest in the tombs beneath the bascula. The Vatican released pictures of the body on Sunday, dressed in red papal mourning robes and wearing a gold-trimmed mitre. Tributes have poured in from round the world, and the funeral is expected to draw crowds of thousands. The last papal funeral, that of Pope John Paul II in 2005, was one of the largest Christian gatherings in history and drew an estimated 4 million people to Rome. Arrangements for the service are not yet clear, as many of the traditions associated with the death of a serving Pope are not required, most notably the election of a successor. Benedict asked that the funeral be marked by simplicity, Vatican spokesperson Matteo Bruni told journalists. Details of the guest list have not been released, but the Vatican has said and it will include delegations from Italy and Benedict's native Germany. US President Joe Biden lauded the former Pope's lifetime of devotion to the Church, while Italian Prime Minister Giorgio Meloni hailed him as a great man whom history will not forget. In Brazil, the largest Catholic nation in the world, incoming President Luiz Inácio uh, Lula da Silva said he wished comfort to the faithful and admirers of the Holy father and Pope Benedict was a controversial figure and some have criticized him for failing to tackle allegations of clerical sexual abuse but I mean it is most certainly uh, a sad occasion um, naturally being a leader of millions upon millions of followers um, and um, that is 
the update as to when the funeral happened, and indeed, he's lying in state. In other news, the IMF, International Monetary Fund, um, has said a third of the world is in recession this year. And the BBC reports that a third of the global economy will be in recession this year. The head of the International Monetary Fund has warned. Kristalina Georgieva said 2023 will be tougher than last year as the US, EU and China see their economies slow. It comes as the war in Ukraine, rising prices, higher interest rates and the spread of COVID in China weigh on the global economy. In October, the IMF cut its global economic growth outlook for 2023. We expect one-third of the world economy to be in recession, Mr. Uvina said on the CBS News program. Even countries that are not in recession, it would feel like a recession for hundreds of millions of people, she added. Katrina L., an economist at Moody's Analytics in Sydney, gave the BBC an assessment of the world economy. While our baseline avoids a global recession, over the next year, odds of one are uncomfortably high. Europe, however, will not escape recession. and The US is teetering on the verge, she said. The IMF cut its outlook for global economic growth in 2023 in October. Due to the war in Ukraine, as well as higher interest rates as central banks around the world attempt to rein in rising prices. Since then... China has scrapped its zero-COVID policy and started to reopen its economy, even as coronavirus infections have spread rapidly in the country. Mish Giojivia warned that China, the world's second-largest economy, would face a difficult start to 2023. For the next couple of months, it would be tough for China, and the impact on Chinese growth would be negative. The impact on the region will be negative, and the impact on global growth will be negative, she said. The IMF is an international organization with 119 member countries. They work together to try to stabilize the global economy. One of its key roles is to act as an early economic warning system. Mr. Giovanni's comments will be alarming for people around the world, not least in Asia, which endured a difficult year in 22. Inflation has been steadily rising across the region, largely because of the war in Ukraine, while higher interest rates have also hit households and businesses. Figures released over the weekend pointed to weakness in the Chinese economy at the end of 22. The official purchasing manager's index, the PMI, for December showed that China's factory activity shrank for the third month in a row and at the fastest rate in almost three years as coronavirus infections spread in the country's factories. In the same month, home prices in 100 cities fell for the sixth month in a row, according to a survey by one of the country's largest independent property research firms, China Index Academy. On Saturday, its first public comments since the change in policy, President Xi Jinping called for more effort and unity as China enters what he called a new phase. The downturn in the US also means there is less demand for the products that are made in China and other Asian countries, including Thailand and Vietnam. Higher interest rates also make borrowing more expensive. So for both these reasons, companies may choose not to invest in expanding their businesses.
And the lack of growth can trigger investors to pull money out of an economy. And so countries, especially poorer ones, have less cash to pay for crucial imports like food and energy. And in these kinds of slowdowns, currencies can lose value against those of more prosperous economies compounding the issue. The impact of higher interest rates on loans affects economies at at the government level too, especially emerging markets, which may struggle to repay their debts. And for decades, the Asian Pacific region has depended on China as a major trading partner and for economic support in times of crisis. Now, Asian economies are facing the lasting economic effects of how China has handled the pandemic. The manufacturer products such as Tesla electric cars and Apple iPhones may get back on track as Beijing ends zero COVID. But renewed demand for commodities like oil and iron is likely to further increase prices just as inflation appeared to have peaked. China's relaxed domestic COVID restrictions are not a silver bullet. Transition will be a bumpy and a source of volatility at least through the March quarter, Ms. Ellis said. So, I mean, we've faced um, prices rising here in the UK. We've faced economic uncertainty. And by the looks of things, at least from the IMF's report, the overall um, understanding for the year to come is that of a stark one. And indeed, dare we say, um, a very unstable one. God willing, things will improve. In other news, we are finding that uh, shops are facing challenging year. Um, The industry body has reported shops across the country are facing a particularly difficult six months ahead as customers try to cope with higher prices by buying less, according to the body representing UK retailers. Sales will only rise by 2.3% at most in the first half of the year, the BRC, which is the British Retail Consortium, predicts. But sales should pick up in the second half of the year. Retailers are also facing higher costs, and government support for firms' energy bills is due to end in March. The first half of the year is likely to be challenging for households and retailers. Ongoing inflation will make sales appear to be rising, but we expect failing volumes of consumers continue to manage this spending. When prices are rising, customers can end up spending more, even if they are buying fewer items. During 2022, many customers reined in their spending as prices rose sharply and pushed up by the war in Ukraine, higher energy prices and the knock-on effect of the pandemic. Christmas was the first with no COVID restrictions since 2019. Shoppers did return to high streets in bigger numbers. However, the footfall remained below pre-pandemic levels, hampered in part by rail strikes and severe weather. From a retailer's point of view, there's been a perfect storm of pressures, said retail analyst Richard Lim. Some well-known names went under in 2022, including furniture store Made.com and clothing brands M&Co and Jules. Mr. Lim said those were the tip of the iceberg, 
compared to the number of firms he expects to find themselves in trouble in early 23. Many retailers face a reckoning in January as they calculate whether Christmas takings have been strong enough to balance slower business through the rest of the year. Tough conditions for retailers, including higher energy bills and weak consumer confidence, are set to continue this year. Sales measured by value may rise by as little as 1% in the first half of the year, the BRC said, with 2.3% its highest forecast for January to June. However, the the BRC's modelling suggests the outlook is better for the latter part of the year. There is cause for optimism in the second half of 2023 when we expect inflation to ease and improving consumer confidence. The BRC said sales could grow by as much as 4.7% in the second half of the year. So somewhat of a dialogue this morning, but um, I guess it's a reality check um, as to where we currently are. And the sort of the last piece which caught my eye was winter set to be worst ever for A&E weights, um, as health leaders warn. The NHS is facing the worst winter for A&E weights on record, as hospitals are being pressurised like never before. The Royal College of Emergency Medicine says it believes this will have been the worst December for hospital bed occupancy and emergency care delays. The warning comes as hospitals face soaring demand driven by winter infections like flu, strep A and COVID. The government says it's working tirelessly to ensure patient care. A number of NHS trusts have declared critical incidences in recent days, signalling they are unable to function as normal due to extraordinary pressure. Dr Adrian Boyle, the president of the RCEM, told the BBC that hospitals were too full the situation was much worse than in previous years. Ambulances waiting outside hospitals was the most obvious marker. In November, around 37,837 people waited more than 12 hours in A&E for a decision to be admitted to a hospital department, according to data from NHS England. This was more than triple the equivalent figure for November 21 when an estimated 10,646 waited longer than 12 hours. In separate remarks to the PA news agency, Dr. Bold said he would not be at all surprised if December proved to be the worst month on record for hospital occupancy rates. Over 90% of senior doctors reported there had been people waiting in the emergency department for more than 24 hours last week, he's added. Dr. Boyle remarked, the gallows joke about this is now that 24 hours in A&E is not a documentary, it's a way of life. He said the health service had been stretched further by a staff retention crisis, as well as recent nurse and ambulance workers' strikes and a demand shock caused by winter infections. Fears of a twindemic of flu and COVID infections was sadly being realised, added MP Steve Brin, chair of the Commons Health and Social Care Select Committee. This was very heavily weighed towards flu infections. Flu case numbers in Wales have put the country's hospitals in an unprecedented situation, says its top doctor, and those with symptoms have been asked to stay away from hospitals. At the same time, the 111 telephone helpline has come under significant pressure 
Dr. Sir Frank Turnon said. People have instead been urged to consult a 111 website. Meanwhile, in England, the latest figures show there were more than 3,700 patients a day in hospital with flu last week, up from 520 a day the month before, and just 34 a day this time last year. Among the NHS Trust have declared critical incidents. In recent days, our university hospitals trust Leicester, Hampshire and Isle of Wight, Buckinghamshire Healthcare, University Hospitals of North Midlands. Other trusts previously declared a critical incidence but have since removed the status as conditions improved, including Surrey and Sussex Healthcare, Sanon and West Birmingham Hospitals, East of England Ambulance and University Hospitals of Derby and Burton. So we know there is an issue um, and you know, we certainly hope and pray that the circumstances do improve because these numbers are very much so stark and alarming. Having around 37,000-odd people waiting more than 12 hours in A&E you know, is calling for a change for sure um, and for there to be dramatic change. And having 3,700 patients a day in hospital uh, just last week with flu is also very much so alarming. <laughs> So we hope and pray certainly these um, these circumstances, these these uh, dramatic circumstances, do indeed change for the better. We'll take a short break now, and after the break, we'll start off our first segment, which is actually related with this topic, um, which is around NHS nurses' strikes. So don't go anywhere. to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. So before the break, we were going through the morning papers and seeing what's been printed this morning. Um, it's now the time that we make our strides towards our first segment, which is about the NHS nurses' strikes. A very pertinent point uh, topic. I'm sure everybody's um, come across this, uh, hence why we are covering this. Um, so the current impact of strikes on the NHS hospitals and how it will affect patients in regards to their treatments and waiting times, um, costs to the hospitals and whether or not the NHS can recover will be discussed. And the previous step was so much, what's the impact of continuous strikes um, and how will it affect all of us? 
So the members of the Royal College of Nursing, the RCN, decided to take strike action on the 15th of December 2022 and the 20th of December 2022. And this was the first strike in the union's 106-year history. Ambulance and nursing staff were also set to strike in Scotland, but decided against it after accepting the Scottish government's pay deal, such as intensive care and high dependency. Um, and the neonatal and paediatric intensive care the RCN also maintained that emergency services for cancer will be exempt from the strike and other services would have seen a reduced service or Christmas Day duty service. So the main question is, why are staff striking? Well, the main reason for striking is overpay, understaffing and patient safety. Due to the rising cost of living crisis, it has been reported that many nurses have had to take on second jobs in order to afford basic necessities. The Royal College of Nurses, the RCN, is calling for a 19% pay rise. The government says it's unaffordable. NHS staff in England and Wales, including nurses, have already been given an average increase of 4.75%. The lowest paid were guaranteed a rise of at least 1000 400 pounds. In Northern Ireland, nurses will receive the same increase, which will be backdated. In Scotland, a pay offer averaging 7.5% for NHS staff has been accepted by some unions, but rejected by the RCM and RCM members. So what impact have these strikes had? Well, there have been concerns over patient safety when it comes to these strikes. However, key areas and services have been said to be unaffected by the strikes and GP services are running as normal. The strikes affect other elements of care. Patients have been contacted in advance to be told of changes to planned care and encouraged to attend appointments unless they have been instructed otherwise. More strikes are planned for this January. Um, nurses, the Royal College of Nursing, the RCN, has announced strike dates on the 18th and 19th of January. It says they will take place at more locations in England than previous strikes. The RCN in Scotland is also expected to announce strike dates for early 2023. Its members rejected a pay deal, which would have seen the average salary rise by 7.5%. Royal College of Midwives, the RCM members, in Scotland also rejected the deal. Uh, ambulance staff, some ambulance staff in England, will stage two further strikes on the 11th and the 23rd of January. Unison said the action would affect London, Yorkshire, the northwest, northeast, and southwest. And the strike by GMB members on the 28th of December has been cancelled and its members will now strike on the 11th of January instead. So a week and a couple of days from now. The Guardian reports that the NHS strikes could continue for many months amid anger at UK government plans 
to raise staff salaries by only 2% next year, which health unions have condemned as more real-terms pay-cut misery. Ministers have asked NHS pay review body to cap the increase in frontline health workers to 2% in 23 and 24 to help the government achieve its ambition to curb soaring inflation. But the attempt by the Health Secretary, Steve Barclay, to cap the annual salary rise at such a low level could lead the NHS facing prolonged industrial action. And health service bosses are warning 2% is barely a third of the estimate by the Office for Budget Responsibility, the OBR. Inflation, as measured by the CPI index, would average 5.5% during 23 and 24. The 2% plan comes against a background of widespread strikes across the NHS in protest at the government's decision to give the bulk of personnel a rise of £1,400, or about 4%, for 2022 and three. In England, ambulance staff will walk out again on 11th and the 23rd of January, while nurses are due to refuse to work on 18th and 19th of January, disrupting a wide range of services including planned surgery and outpatient appointments. On the 16th of November, Steve Barclay wrote to the NHS pay review body, which advises ministers what size of uplift staff apart from doctors and dentists should receive, giving them their remit for the 23 and 24 settlements. While it did not specify the 2% figure, NHS Confederation Hospitals body, the Health Foundation, Think Tank and several health unions all say that the fact that NHS England's budget for 23 and 4 has already been set means that it is the sum Barclay is keen to see awarded, with a 1% contingency potentially making it a 3% rise. Either sum is likely to provoke further unrest among, among the NHS staff. Pat Cullen the General Secretary of the Royal College of Nursing, the RCN, said, Our dispute is about the NHS pay award for 2022-3. And we are deciding how to engage in discussions about the 23-4 award. Ministers need to resolve our dispute with them over this year's award before they move on to next year's. But in a direct response to the mooted 2% rise, she added... Inflicting a decade of real terms, pay cut and misery on nursing should be more than enough without considering going down that road again next year. Matthew Taylor, the NHS Confederation's chief executive, urged Barclay not to try to impose such a small below inflation increase for a second year running. The trade unions are calling for a pay rise for NHS staff that is about that is above current levels of inflation which 2% to 3% would not deliver. If the government wants to avoid the prospect of prolonged industrial action this year, it must be prepared to negotiate on pay, and both sides must be willing to compromise, Taylor said. Anitia Charlesworth, the Director of Research at the Health Foundation, said the NHS budget for next year was set by the government on the basis that health service staff would receive a 2% uplift in the coming pay round. And this would be less than half forecast inflation and below the OBR's official forecast for earnings growth across the economy, which is 
A 2% award would rise, exacerbating the NHS's deepening staffing crisis, she added. And the result would be that the NHS workers would face a further cut in real earnings. At a time of rising vacancies, it would mean NHS wages falling further behind other sectors, with risks to recruitment and retention. In his letter to Philippa Heard, the chair of NHS's pay review body, Barclay reminded her that the NHS budget has already been set until 2024 to 2025. And he said, pay awards must strike a careful balance recognising the vital importance of the public sector workers while delivering value for the taxpayer, considering private sector pay levels, not increasing the country's debt further and being careful not to drive prices even higher in the future. And in advice that underpins the likely 2% offer, the health secretary added, in the current economic context, it is particularly important that you also have regard to the government's inflation target on forming recommendations. NHS England cannot easily increase to the 2%. It is under pressure to use its budget to tackle 7.2% million strong backlog of people awaiting hospital care and the intense strain of the entire service is under. That allied to the fact that the NHS spending is planned to increase by a historically low level next year means that it has little or no headroom to fund additional pay costs beyond the 2%, with the government holding a potential contingency for a further 1% increase, Charlesworth said. An official at the GMB union said the Department of Health and Social Care has already sent its remit to the pay review body for next year and budgeted for a 2.1% pay increase. This is about a third of forecast inflation in 23. The fundamental issue is the dispute in that the NHS pay settlements have continuously been too low. However, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, uh, have ruled out increasing this year's £1,400 offer because they are keen to demonstrate restraint over public sector pay to help the Conservatives regain a reputation for economic competence. Hunt has ruled out a one-off extra payment to nurses to try to end the government's increasingly bitter standoff with the RCN, even though such a move is popular with voters. The Department of Health and Social Care said it had not decided what pay rise for NHS staff for 2023 and 2024 it could afford. The government hugely values the and appreciates the NHS staff, and we have committed to give NHS workers a pay rise, asking the impendent pay review bodies for recommendations on pay for staff in scope. This follows the acceptance of last year's recommendations in full, which saw the lowest earners in the NHS receive a 9.3% pay rise. And we will consider the independent pay review bodies' reports carefully when we receive them. The government has not yet set out the position on affordability for 2023 and 24. So overall... What seems to be, at least from the outside, a bit of standoff, um, and a standoff unless there is an increase from the initial offer of a 2% pay rise. And dare I say, unless um, a more reasonable, at least from the NHS's perspective, a more reasonable pay rise 
is offered. The strikes, which are dated on the 18th and 19th of January, and indeed on the 11th, will um, most certainly go on. And they'll have dramatic effects. You know, 7.8 million people um, backlogged for appointments and the various other stark figures which we have gone through. Um, so unprecedented times for sure. Um, and God willing, there is, you know, a deal to be made in the very near future. Otherwise, you know, this, the situation will most certainly uh, be exacerbated, which we do not want to see. We are fast approaching the 8 o'clock news. We'll take a short break and we'll continue with this segment afterwards. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. and Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here at the Voice of Islam. For the break, we were talking about the the NHS nurses' strikes um, and the dramatic effect that it is happening, and the reasoning behind it all. Now, in a separate report, um, the the NHS workers, it's reported, had to be given salary. Um, top up to avoid minimum wage breach um, and this is from the GMB union the GMB union's head rather the ambulance workers and nurses are striking this week as they demand a salary rise but the government is refusing to negotiate over pay saying it's not for them to do this but it's for the independent pay review bodies so the lowest paid NHS workers had to be given a salary top-up this year to avoid breaching national minimum wage laws, the head of a union said, as she pleaded with ministers to negotiate pay. Rachel Harrison, National Secretary of the GMB Union, told MPs that NHS staff had to be given more money this year by the health service. Ambulance workers, who are GMB members, are striking on Wednesday while nurses are taking industrial action today as both call for better pay, working conditions and patient conditions. Um, mind you, this report um, written 10 odd days ago, so slight, some of the stuff uh, has already happened. Ms Harrison told the Health and Social Care Committee workers, just as cleaners, call handlers, caterers and patient transport staff um, were being paid less than the minimum wage, so had to be given more money 
to avoid the NHS being prosecuted by HMRC. The national minimum wage has been £9.50 an hour for adults aged 23 and over since April this year, or rather last year, and was £8.91 uh, two years ago. And it's rising to £10.42 from this April. If an employer does not pay the national minimum wage, HMRC can fine them up to £20,000 and take criminal legal proceedings. Ms. Harrison warned the NHS will be in the same position this year because the government is refusing to negotiate on pay for uh, fiscal year ending in April. These are people that carry out crucial jobs within the NHS, she told MPs. And because of a dated and not fit for purpose pay review body process that significantly delays getting money into people's pockets and the approach of this government towards public service cuts and austerity means we have got members working right across the NHS on low pay and this is the exact reason we're seeing them leave. She added that she does not accept um, and indeed expect a pay offer to be made at a meeting with the health minister um, and rather the health secretary will quince um, and she told Sky News that it would be um, the cases where ambulance workers will not have to go to um, during strike and not pay. She said we've been given half an hour to meet with the secretary of state to discuss an emergency cover for tomorrow which considering our strike starts minute is a bit late in the day but those governments have already been reached at local level and the agreements so also the secretary of state is willing to talk to us about pay and those strikes are set to go ahead so overall there's there's a lot of back and forth um and a sort of a concrete decision um is yet to be made and it's as we mentioned before, the numbers are stark in, in terms of um, the effects that it is having um, on uh, patients and indeed those who require um, hospital care. But the Islamic point of view in all of this is very much so important because Islam says you know, to respect and help others in time of need um, and in healthcare in the UK, a vast majority of professionals are of different backgrounds, and many are Muslims. So the question really rises is what do these strikes mean for those Muslims who want to help but simply cannot? The fourth head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Tahirat, may Allah be pleased with him. And have mercy on him, maintained that the concept of strike should not arise in Islam. There are two aspects to this. He said the need for strike action arises when the government has been unjust or is not doing enough to provide for their people. It is their responsibility to ensure that they provide the people their due and justice. And the government is responsible for their people. His Holiness said he had cited verse 
chapter 2, verse 206, in part earlier. The complete verse reads, And when he is in authority, he runs about in the land to create disorder and destroy the crops and the progeny of man. And Allah does not, and Allah loves not disorder. And so he explained, this verse is warning unjust rulers. The Holy Quran does not only direct masses, it also enjoins rulers telling them not to be arrogant about their power and not to be unjust. His Holiness said that in the current state of affairs, the same story can be heard across the board, that national revenues have been plundered and the masses deprived of their rights. How unfortunate that those whom God has, has informed about it all are the ones who are committing these wrongdoings. Those in, in authority have a great responsibility over their public, and by not honouring that these rulers are creating disorder, and God greatly disapproves of this disorder. The Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, whom be peace, said, The Holy Quran states, Obey Allah and obey his messenger and those who are in authority over you. And therein is a clear directive to obey those who are in authority over you. With regards to the service of mankind, the Holy Quran states, You are the best people raised for the good of mankind. You enjoin what is good and forbid evil and believe in Allah. Chapter 3, verse 111. And do not forget to do good to one another. Chapter 2, verse 238. You will remain the best as long as you are service-minded. Promote good and promote the welfare of society. If you fail to do this, you no longer have a right to boast of the superiority of Islam and the Muslim community. The fundamental qualities that we must all acquire to serve mankind or to develop a passion to serve mankind are love for humanity, kindness in our hearts for others, a charitable disposition, humility, honesty, a thirst for knowledge, a desire to share knowledge with others, and a constant desire to strive in the cause of Allah by doing good. The teachings of the Holy Quran and the example of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, direct us on how best to serve mankind. And the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, practice the teachings of the Holy Quran to the fullest extent and is the best example of the true representation of service to mankind and to Allah. Some of the sayings of the Holy Prophet which incentivize us to do good. Now he said, Every act of goodness is charity. Give charity without delay, for it stands in the way of calamity. Only two persons are worthy of being envied. A person upon whom Allah bestows riches and gives him the power to spend in a righteous cause. And a person upon whom Allah bestows wisdom by which he judges and which he teaches. The Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, in whom be peace, said, My purpose, yearning, and heartfelt desire is to serve humanity. This is my job, 
my faith, my inspiration, and my way. And really, for us on the outside to take a side on whether you know, these strikes are permissible or not, you know, quite frankly, isn't our job. But um, what, what can be said is that, you know, our NHS workers, our key workers, certainly need to be looked after because, effectively, they are the backbone of our society. Um, and if they start to crumble and deteriorate, then we certainly need to be um, proactive in our approach making sure we can most certainly um, you know, sustain at least, or in actuality, try and support um, in any way we can this very important and crucial pillar. With that, we have come to the end of our first segment. We'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll start our next segment, um, which is around New Year's resolution and how actually we can uh, keep. Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu and welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. Uh, before the break, we were going over the first segment, which was about the NHS nurses' strike. But it's time that we start off our second segment, which is around the New Year's, um, and more importantly, dare I say, the New Year's resolutions. And the New Year comes with celebrations and with New Year's um, resolutions. This segment will go through what some ways are to keep New Year's resolutions and to make a positive impact in your life and the Islamic way of celebrating New Year's. So where did New Year's resolution actually begin? Well, according to history stories, New Year's resolution began around 4,000 years ago when the ancient Babylonians celebrated their New Year in mid-March by making promises to their gods to be good pay their debts and return borrowed items and a return that their gods would favour them for the following year. Julius Caesar tinkered with the calendar and established January the 1st as the beginning of the new year circa 46 BC. And for early Christians, the first day of the new year became the traditional occasion for thinking about one's past mistakes and resolving to, be, to do better in the future. In 1740, the English clergyman John Wesley, founder of the Methodism, uh, created the Covenant Renewal Service, most commonly held on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, also known as 
watch night services, and they included readings, scriptures, and hymn singing, and served as a spiritual alternative to the uh, Rankos celebrations normally held to celebrate the coming of the new year. And now popular with the evangelical Protestant churches, especially African-American denominations and congregations, watch night services held on New Year's Eve are often spent praying and making resolutions for the coming year. Despite the tradition's religious roots, New Year's Resolutions Day are a mostly secular practice. And according to a CNN article, uh, author Katie Milkman and collaborators have shown that on new, uh, new beginnings, dates like New Year's Day, your birthday or even Mondays, you're extra motivated to tackle your goals because you feel like you can turn the page on past failures. And maybe you meant to quit smoking, get fit or start going to bed at a reasonable hour last year and didn't. And a fresh start like New Year's lets you relegate those missteps to a past chapter and tell yourself that was the old me but the new me will be different. Behavioural scientists have discovered a host of techniques that can help keep New Year's resolutions as opinions are divided and some some people tend not to keep or uh, fail in the first three months. However, even if it's the 2nd of January and you think you failed your resolution or can't keep making changes, you can always start again on the next day, week, month or even your birthday. Um, and somebody of an article, um, the, the article in Vox.com reminds us of outlets which tell us it's time to refresh and rebrand. Self-improvement is very much so difficult at any time of the year, but you may feel extra pressure to embark on a life change at the end of the new year. And dubbed as notoriously achievable resolutions, the article suggests being specific in your resolutions as to how they will work. And context is crucial, focusing on one manageable goal at a time. Divide resolutions into mind goals, so breaking down your resolutions into bite-sized targets helps people stick to these goals. For example, if you're resolving to eat healthier, a first mini-goal would be to buy more fruits and vegetables. Second, try not to let these foods go bad. So making these mini-goals fun and rewarding. And a friend with similar goals or resolutions is helpful as check and balance. Be prepared to mess up and miss the goal. So when we have those kinds of interruptions, the idea is to reaffirm your commitment to the goal by reflecting on what is the outcome you want and what is the self you want to be and where you are now. So if you told yourself you'd practice guitar seven days a week with three um, get-out-of-jail-free days, you'd still meet your goal if you picked up the instrument four days a week. So good housekeeping suggests build a better budget, be more spiritual, cook something new each week, read more books, curate a cleaning schedule you'll stick to, start meal preparing, commit to a healthy sleep routine, join a club, quit smoking or exercise your brain. And they say these are some of the 
positive New Year's resolutions. Um, it's very interesting, the whole concept of a New Year's resolution, um, because of the way that it's constructed, I guess, or, um, you know, why does it need to be at the start of the year? Yes, it's a beginning, but um, you know, you'll find various um, resolutions being made throughout the year, depending on you know, each individual circumstance. And the stance of Islam, you know, this being the voice of Islam, um, is that the well, the whole the whole calendar for Islam is different. So, you know, the Islamic New Year, also called the the Hijri New Year is the day that marks the beginning of a new lunar Hijri year and is the day on which the year count is uh, incremented. So the first day of the Islamic year is observed by most Muslims on the first day of the month of Muharram. So there are different names for the various months in Islam. And the reference day of the Islamic era was set as the year of the immigration um, of the Prophet Muhammad and the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and its followers from Mecca to Medina, known as Hijra. So the, the immigration was known as Hijra, which equates to 622 CE in the Gregorian calendar, which we currently follow. In Islam, the new year for Muslims is right after the month of Ramadan, the month in which we fast. And the first day of Muharram um, is thereby followed. And it was the time that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, marked um, by no violence, fasting and indeed prayer. So in the month of Muharram, um, well, so the Muslim New Year, the Islamic New Year, it's narrated that the Holy Prophet of Islam said that the most virtuous fasting after the month of Ramadan is Allah's month of Muharram. And the Promised Messiah and Human Peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has set standards that we must avoid any circumstances that may tempt us to deviate from the truth. And um, he states that the majesty of a true believer is not only to express despair over such worldly activities, but also to conduct a self-audit and evaluate the year that has passed with reflection on the previous year did we achieve our spiritual targets. To make a pledge to yourself, make a prayer during the start of the new year that may Allah forgive us for the sins we have committed and help us eradicate our weaknesses and help us achieve the maximum in the coming year. I guess we need to ask ourselves, um, and we need to really ponder over the fact that the previous year has been spent safeguarding against falsehood, treading on the path of truth. Did we keep ourselves away from such events that led to ill thoughts and did we safeguard ourselves against all forms of harm, mischief, disorder, and deceitful acts? Were we regular in our in our prayers and our salat, in our voluntary pre um, uh, 
pre-dawn prayers, the, the Hajjat prayers, where we regular in invoking salutations upon the Holy Prophet. So these are sort of a, the core um, fundamentals for any practicing Muslim. And did we uh, seek Allah's forgiveness profusely uh, whilst also maintaining high standards of good morals? You know, the, the dire situation of the world currently is that there is a, a very much so steady decline um, in morality, in levels of morality. You know, you'll find so much um, ill within our society, um, which, you know, 10, 30, 40 years ago wasn't the case, but since has been on the rise and on the increase. In the Western developed world, New Year's Eve is celebrated with a lot of activities. Um, what I'm quoting here is a Friday sermon of our current caliph, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Musrur Ahmad. May Allah strengthen his hand. He said, In the Western developed world, New Year's Eve is celebrated with a lot of activities. The people start awake for the entire night and spend their time partying and consuming alcohol. Thus, the last year is concluded and the new year is started with such immoral worldly activities. The majority of the people have no religious concern, therefore they cannot reach out to the depths that a true believer can achieve. The majesty of a true believer is not only to express despair over such worldly activities, but also to conduct a self-audit and evaluate the year that has passed. What have we earned and lost through this year? Will the true believer evaluate the year through a worldly lens or will it be through a religious and spiritual perspective? And if it has to be on the spiritual scale, then we need to look into the standard of it so that it can truly reveal what has been lost and what has been gained. We am these are very fortunate, whose holiness continues, we am these are very fortunate that Allah has given us the instruction of the following of the promised Messiah on whom be peace, who represented and presented to us the summary of the teachings of Allah and his holy prophet, and the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and also showed us the high standards to evaluate our deeds and spirituality. If this standard is kept in assessment, then we can surely achieve the standards of true believers. These are the conditions to rightly judge your standards of good deeds. Every Ahmadi undertook the Bayad. The Bayad is uh, the oath of um, allegiance and initiation. So every Ahmadi took the Bayad, and thus through this promised Messiah, in whom be peace, gave us the instructions to follow and thus also expected from every Ahmadi to self-evaluate themselves every day, every week, every month and every year. Thus, if we spend the last night of the previous year and the new day of the new year pondering over our spiritual conditions and by spending time supplicating towards Allah 
and we will be the ones who will be working towards a good life hereafter. And if we also indulge in worldly wishes and affairs, then we will lose a lot and gain nothing. If the weaknesses still prevail, and the self-valuation does not give us peace, then we should pray to Allah that the coming year may not be the one that would show us a reduction in spiritual enhancements. Instead, our every step should be to gain the pleasure of Allah. Our everyday life should be reflective of the good model of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Our days and nights should be spent in a way that, Allah, that helps us fulfill our pledge to the promised Messiah in whom be peace. The pledge that questions that we have not committed any sin of shirk. Shirk being, uh, which will be expanded upon this, his holiness says this is not the shirk of uh, idolatry. But according to the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, it is diminished by good deeds or showing off of the good deeds. The shirk is that of the indulgence in the hidden violations. Are our prayers, fasting, financial sacrifices, work towards humanity, sacrifice of time for the community, truly for the sake of Allah, or to show off to the people? Were the hidden wishes in our hearts standing in opposition to Allah? The Prophet whom peace has provided an elaboration to it by saying that the proclamation of oneness of Allah is not merely achieved by saying La ilaha, that there is only one God and have numerous idols hidden in the heart. Any person who gives his work, his deception and his tactics the importance that he should give Allah or depends on any person instead of Allah for any need or gives glory to himself that he should give it to Allah then in all of these conditions he is doing shirk so he's associating thus we need to look forward to these standards and then to evaluate ourselves so that was a, a direct quote from his holiness um, a sermon which he delivered uh, in 2016 whereby addressing the way that Ahmadi Muslims should in fact be celebrating and welcoming the new year rather than um, what is observed um, in the secular world should we say I also have a clip um, a clip which will um, tell us on how best we can get rid of our bad habits that we've stuck with my question is, sometimes people try to get rid of bad habits, but they make the same mistake again. So my beloved Hazur, what is the best way to get rid of bad habits? Masim has given us a very golden principle that if you want to leave any bad habit or any sin, you should first try to loathe that sin hate that sin and make a firm promise with you and with Allah Ta'ala as well that you will never commit this sin or do this bad thing again, right? And also 
pray to Allah Ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala save you from the sin to be committed again by you or you practice it again, any bad habit or anything or you do something which can harm the other people or people consider or even Allah Ta'ala even says it is against the teaching of Islam and the true Ahmadiyyat uh, and the true Islam. So this all depends on your determination, prayer and dislike of that bad habit and sin. Right? Okay? So that was a clip whereby His Holiness, the current Caliph of the Amin Muslim community, answering a question um, as to how we can um, uh, you know, best get rid of our bad habits and His Holiness's answer being to loathe or to hate that certain act so much so that we um, yeah, intrinsically begin to have uh, start at least to have hate for that certain thing and then um, to repent we'll take a short break and after the break we'll continue with this segment um, so stay tuned Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allah أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. The Holy Quran states Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. Anur is that being through whose light a physically blind person sees, and a person who has gone astray finds guidance. It is that being who is apparent and through whom all things are manifested. His being is apparent in himself and makes things evident for others as well. The true light is God, which can be perceived in everything by those with insight. However, one who is devoid of spiritual sight cannot see it. A believer is firm on the belief that the universe that can be observed as well as the universe that cannot be observed is created by God. In order to give an understanding of this light, God sends His chosen people who spread the nur, 
which comes down from the heavens throughout the world. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, writes, that light of high degree that was bestowed on perfect man was not in angels, was not in the stars, was not in the moon, was not in the sun, was not in the oceans or the rivers, was not in rubies or emeralds, or sapphires or pearls. In short, it was not in any earthly or heavenly object. It was only in perfect man, whose highest and loftiest and most perfect example was our Lord and Master, the chief of the prophets, the chief of all living ones, Muhammad, the chosen one. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, set the most excellent example and the highest standard of nur, which was established as a reflection of the light of God and which will continue till the day of judgment. The nur he received was conveyed to his companions and established excellent morals amongst them, so much so that he likened them to the stars. After the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, the reflection of God's light was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. This was due to complete subordination of his master. Not only did God fill the promised Messiah on whom be peace with nur that was sent down more than 1,400 years ago. He also granted him the station to spread this nur. The promised Messiah on whom be peace wrote that no one knew him and God compelled him out of his solitude and told him that he would bestow upon him honor and make him renowned all over the world. It is a way of God that when he adorns someone with nur, he manifests it to the world. After all, when the worldly light has a capacity to spread, how can the light of God stay hidden? Asalaamu Alaikum, may peace be upon you. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here at The Voice of Islam. Before the break, we were talking about the Islamic point of view um, on New Year's resolution. Um, and we heard uh, clips and indeed statements and quotes from both the founder of the community, the Prophet Messiah, and indeed His Holiness, the current Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. But as we're fast approaching the end of today's program, we'll quickly have a recap as to what's been discussed. We first touched upon the the NHS crisis, or at least the NHS strikes, which have been um, happening in the past week, and indeed will be happening in this um, in this month at least, um, the, the dramatic effects which um, will actually result um, in various people having appointments and meetings with health specialists being disturbed, and indeed um, the overall issue around pay, um, whereby there is still 
a figure to be agreed upon. Um, you know, various low-paid staff have been given the option um, of having an increase of £1,400. Um, but the majority, um, the, the RCN, the Royal College of Nurses, is calling for 19% pay rise, whereas the current um, offer on the table is of 2% with a 1% contingency. And then we touched upon the Islamic point of view where Islam incentivizes all Muslims to serve others um, and how important it is to be there for the community. Moving on to the second segment, we're having discussed New Year's resolution and how all of us really um, you know, come together and come up with these resolutions. But this, the more uh, trickier part, dare I say, is to remain steadfast on those resolutions, remaining um, and sticking to those solutions, resolutions rather, um, and how we can do so. And, it's, and indeed, Islam, um, albeit it doesn't follow the Gregorian calendar, has its own calendar of the Hijri calendar. Um, but nonetheless, it promotes um, a reflection, a self-audit, and indeed a change within ourselves so that we can always be improving ourselves and indeed, um, uh, you know, most certainly um, helping and making sure that our character does change for the better. But with that, we have come to the end of today's programme. A huge thanks to our listeners for staying tuned from 7 o'clock all the way to now approaching 9 o'clock. Uh, research team and our producer, the Dr. Zakir Rahman and Sibab Rahman, researchers, Rukhsana Nasir, and brother in the tech department. Um, and uh, inshallah, we'll meet again next week. Um, same time, same place. Until then, stay safe and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May peace be upon you.